0: Over the course of this healing series, we've heard a number of recurring themes. One of those themes is how God can bring healing through inviting us to share our story with others. Whether that's with a close friend, a counselor, or on a podcast, God can do amazing things when we get out of our heads and put it out there. But what happens when you put yourself out there? You're vulnerable and you're transparent, and you're met with shame or blame. When you open up about what you're experiencing, What do you do when somebody says, I don't believe you? Or when someone says, well, it's your own fault that it happened. How do we find healing when our experience is dismissed? In today's episode, Sharon shares a story of when she was a teenager and experienced an incredibly traumatic event. And when she tried to process this event with others, many, including those in the church, blamed her. Blame and shame are generally pretty common But what's surprising is how often we find it among believers. Perhaps God is giving us an invitation today to move away from shame and blame and to move towards the type of love that Jesus demonstrated over and over and over and demonstrates even today. You're listening to episode 82 of the Where Did You See God podcast. father god i just thank you that you are god and you are good and i just thank you for another opportunity uh, just for two people to stop what they're doing and just talk about you and so i thank you for Sharon. i thank you for who you've been in her life both in the ways that she recognizes and the ways that she's still uh, to learn and i thank you for the powerful stories you've given her that you are now using to not just heal her but to heal others and I just thank you that right now we're going to dive into a conversation, but we don't know where it's going to go because we want it to go where you want to lead it. So we give you our words. We give you our thoughts. We release our plans to you, our expectations to you, because anything you could come up with is going to be abundantly more than anything we could ask for or think about. So we give it all to you. We pray that you are glorified and honored. And all this we pray in your most holy name. Amen. Amen. Sharon, it's good to meet you. We connected through Podmatch, and I know very little about you, which is actually one of my favorite ways to come into a conversation because then I don't know what's about to come. So I know a few (laughs) things, but before we jump into that, one thing that I always love to do, and I am laughing in my head as I say that because I keep on messing myself up. I have this little game that I've been playing where I want to create a fun, simple way for someone to share quickly about themselves, but I'm making it into an improv game. So on the spot, I've been coming up with whatever the prompt is. The reason I'm laughing in my head is because it has not gone well <laughs> the last several times. <laughs> this is me actually stalling as I try to figure something out. And here's, here's what it's going to be, because I've got a coffee cup right beside me. So we're going to roll with that. Okay. You have just opened up a new coffee shop mm-hmm. called Shots by Sharon. <laughs> and and on your coffee mugs, you want people to know who you are. So on the coffee mugs, there's a little blurb about who you are. It has Sharon and it's got you smiling. And then you turn the mug and it's got a blurb about who Sharon is. I'm drinking my coffee. What does the back of my mug say?
1: Oh, my goodness. Yeah, this is a fun game. <laughs> well... I have a coffee mug with me too, which you can see, but your audience can't see. And it says, believe on it. And then on the inside, it says, I believe in miracles. But that would be like completely cheating (laughs) if I ripped off this idea. So I think that being that I wrote a book called The Girl in the Garage... My kids have this joke about like wherever I'm sitting in the house, like if I'm in the dining room, they're like, hey, you're not in the garage anymore, mom, you're in the dining room. So maybe my coffee mug would say Life Shots by Sharon, the girl that's not in the garage anymore. I don't know. <laughs> it might say the girl that's now in the coffee shop. The best, <laughs> that, that's the best that, I got. <laughs> that's the
0: go. No, it's it's great. I love it. I love that you had a prop in hand ready to go. And I'm just going to stay. If you do open up Shots by Sharon, you need to give me some like 10% or something like that. You know, put my podcast up on the wall. People heard it here first.
1: hundred <laughs> percent. Actually, I think you're going to be my business partner. I'm in California. I don't even know where you are. We'll just meet in the middle and we'll open a shop together.
0: <laughs> well, I am on the complete opposite end of the country in Virginia. So <laughs> oh <my laughs> it
1: goodness. really will be
0: the middle. So, all right. The middle of the country. Shots by Sharon. There'll be coffee mugs.
1: But if we go by Shots by Sharon, we're going to have to be really clear. We're talking like espresso shots because right. people are going to expect something else, right?
0: Unless there is Shots by Sharon after hours. And that's where it converts into like Ooh. a low-key hangout bar kind of thing. That's a whole other know. level. It's a whole other level. So there's there's a lot. And, and on weekends, it's a shooting range. So you open up the back and you have shots by sharing. Wow,
1: okay. You know, you're you're talking my language.
0: All right, we've got (laughs) it. So if podcasting doesn't work out for us, we have our plan B in place. But that's actually not why we're here to talk about.
1: Uh, We're just going to go down rabbit holes tonight. I I can (laughs) tell because your audience doesn't know that we were like 20 minutes in before you hit record.
0: It's true. I think that was the longest like pre-show conversation and it was good. There's a lot of good stuff in it. Well, so in your coffee mug conversation, you mentioned your book, The Girl in the Garage and the full title is The Girl in the Garage, Three Steps to Letting Go of Your Past. Yeah. And when I was reading your biome, there's a lot of stuff in it. And I remember feeling like in terms of this healing season that I'm in the midst of, there's a lot that Sharon could talk about. But I think the two things that really stood out to me, one, were that book (laughs) and you mentioned that one of the things you do now is coaching on healing from brokenness. Mm-hmm. and lies that we believe that hold us back. So yeah. you dive a lot into this idea of brokenness and identity, but also mm-hmm. past traumas. So I feel like there's a lot of directions that I can go with this. But what we've learned here is you're good to just kind of jump right in. So I just want to jump right in with wherever your mind goes first. You know, I threw a, a big, broad sweep out there of what you could bring to the table. But, you know, we've prayed up. So what's God putting on your mind? Where do we start this journey? <laughs>
1: what's god putting you know what he puts so much on my mind a lot of times i know people say it like it's a joke right to be just like all squirrel but there are days i'm like lord there's so much going on in here where do you want me to start so <laughs> <laughs> i mean we we may hopscotch around here a bit but um you know one thing that that has kind of been on my mind lately is how there's so many people that are really, really hurting, especially because the world's been pretty crazy the last year and a half. And they're wondering where to go. Mm. And there's, you know, it's kind of a, a mixed bag out there of churches that are open, churches that are open, but only if you sit outside, some are online, people are feeling disconnected. A lot of people have been at church before the world went sideways and had some difficult experiences and things like that. And and I think that people are just in a place where they're searching, they're hurting, they're hungry for truth, they're hungry for community and to feel seen and heard and connected. And at the same time, there's these high expectations and even pressure on churches to meet a lot of needs and to get it right. And what we miss is that whether you're the church providing the place or you're the seeker there that's hurting is that we're all human and we, we miss the mark. Yeah. And there becomes almost this deeper wedge of like, well, I went back and it went this way, so I'm angry at God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So a lot of people are mad at God, and, and that's something that I really, really like to talk about is about being mad at God. There's a chapter in my book on that. As we know, things don't go right. In fact, a whole heck of a lot goes pretty darn wrong, and people will be mad. And it it could you could even be a person of faith. We are all of a sudden just going, God, why did you allow this to happen? Here's the example that I like to use having the power to choose our free will, it's kind of a superhuman power. Because if you want to choose where you're going to live, who you're going to marry, what you're going to eat for lunch, all those smaller issues, you're also going to have the power to choose like the really big things, like Mm -hmm. how you handle situations, some of the choices that you make that aren't the best choices. So for example, somebody is they're not at shots for Sharon. We'll say they're at shots for Steve after hours. There you go, there you go. And they have a few too many shots and they drive home, they get in an accident and let's say they hit that car that's full of a family and we lose the family. And then here's, you know, relatives of the family, friends of the family, neighbors, angry, you know, why would God let this happen? And we have to say, okay, everybody has free will. And what you choose to do with your free will has consequences. And those consequences can have this ripple effect. So, Joe, that was drinking at shots with Steve Mm. uh, made a really, really bad decision. And he has a consequence. You know, he's gonna get arrested, get the DUI, lose his license, things like that. But those consequences have a ripple effect that affect the community. This can go, you know, really broad and really deep of how many people this might affect. Of course, the family that is lost, but let's say also that family they had a business and they employed a lot of people in the community and maybe they didn't have a really good plan put in place of so, because nobody thinks like, oh, the whole family is going to, you know, something will happen. Yeah. And then now the people that worked for this family have lost jobs. And that ripple effect onto them, and it's kind of like that, there was a really silly commercial for, I think it was shampoo, and it goes, and she tells two friends, and she tells two friends, and Mm -hmm. so on and so on. But that's what a ripple effect is. And so it carries out like that. And it's like, okay, let's be mad at who we should be mad at. We should be mad at Joe that didn't make a very good decision. And we're paying the consequence, like being mad at God and saying, you know, I'm never going to church again. And I'm walking away from my faith. That's like such a huge overreaction in a sense, because things happen in this world that's out of our control in a lot of ways. And the responsibility needs to be placed back on the person that made the bad decision. That's heavy. Yeah, that's really heavy.
0: You know, as you're talking, I know very little about your book and the story behind it, but Mm -hmm. when you start the conversation with this idea of being mad at God, the little I know about your book, I could say, well, on paper, I could see a lot of reasons why she would get mad at God about what happened to her. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about that because you're in a place now where you experienced something incredibly traumatic that mm-hmm. I'll also add in. It sounds like you're very perceptive about the hard place that people are in, not knowing where they can safely process and explore things, Mm -hmm. partly because that's a place that you had to sit in. And so because you were there of being in this space of silence and not knowing how do I deal with what I went through, Mm -hmm. now you can recognize when others in that place. And so Mm -hmm. in both of those things, it just makes me want to kind of go back. Yeah. How does your experience play into how you understand the role of the church and the role of trusting God, even when the worst possible things can happen?
1: So glad you asked that. Let's bring your audience in just a little bit deeper here. So, for the audience, you don't know, my book is called The Girl in the Garage Three Steps to Letting Go of Your Past. Because when I was 16, I was handed a red cup at a Halloween party. You know where this is going. Mm -hmm. And I woke up in a garage about seven hours later at a different location. So, I had actually been put in a car and driven somewhere which is really crazy. I mean, now as a parent, I'm like, holy smokes, I could have been trafficked. Like anything Mm -hmm. could have happened. Having said that, I've been asked so many times, you know, were you mad at God? I was never mad at God. Actually, at that particular time in my life, I had always believed in God. I had always believed like Jesus died for my sins, that kind of thing. I was actually afraid of God because I thought God was like my dad, and he was, Mm. you know, waiting for me to mess up and I was going to be in trouble. And I was like, oh, but I like Jesus because Jesus died for me, so he's cool. He's got me. And I just had a completely different understanding. I didn't even understand the Trinity, so I wasn't mad at God. I was more afraid of him. But I, I never. Looked at this like you know, like some people will say, you know, oh, you sh- you shouldn't have been there, or you shouldn't mm. have done, done this, and you should have done that. It shifts a lot of responsibility in a way. So I I just want to touch on that for a second because I'm sure your audience will have people who have experienced some type of sexual assault or some type of a trauma where, you know, yeah, okay, let's say we go and we have a drink. Nobody thinks you're going to have a drink and that somebody is going to assault you. You think we're going to have a drink. This is fun. Maybe you'll have a hangover. Like that's the expectation. Maybe you'll have a hangover. But there was something in my drink. So... I had had a couple of sips, went into the bathroom to fix my costume, and immediately remembered just thinking, oh, I need to lay down on the floor. I'm so tired. And that was it. I was lights out. You know, people will say like, well, you should have known better than to, you know, have had that drink. Actually, a girl handed me the drink. Mm. And it was the sister of the guy that I'd went to this party with. And I didn't know the guy really well. Uh, He was a little bit older. He wasn't particularly interested in me when we got to the party. It was kind of like he just brought me. Anyway, that's like a whole nother thing. But nobody expects these weird things to happen. And so I've raised a couple of sons and I tell my sons, if you guys go to a party and somebody's had too much or something doesn't seem right, be the advocate, be the good Samaritan, the good neighbor, like look out for people, whether it's guys or girls, Because Mm -hmm. let's face it, kids do stupid things Mm -hmm. and they might think it's funny or it's a prank or whatever, but somebody ends up paying a consequence and then that ripple effect.
0: Here's what's interesting is as you're talking, it's reminding me of some other conversations that I've had, particularly around this idea of whatever our foundation is of who God is and what he does, Mm -hmm. that is going to be what shapes how we respond, what our gut response is when something happens. Mm -hmm. Uh, So before we started recording, you and I were talking about a podcast that both you and I were on, Mm -hmm. and it was a podcast with somebody who does not believe that God exists and also does not like this God that Christians say they follow because he cannot Mm -hmm. understand how we can say that God is good or that God Mm -hmm. is loving because Mm -hmm. there is a lot of scripture that talks about some really rough stuff that it seems like God has either done or allowed. Mm-hmm. And when I was on the podcast, I spent some time talking about that idea of whatever our core foundation is, is going to shape how we see the world around us. Yeah. And so it sounds like for you, you had this core idea around God as a father. And even though there is some like fear around that, it was mm-hmm. this healthy understanding that as a father, his role was to protect you, to provide for you. Whereas somebody could have an idea of God as this guy who's just controlling everything, who, mm-hmm. who created everything and then is manipulating and controlling it. Mm-hmm. And when you don't have that love aspect in it, mm-hmm. then it's very easy to draw some lines to cruelty mm-hmm. because why did you let this happen? Why did you let that happen?
1: Yeah, that's good. It's deep. It's true. A yeah. lot of people think that.
0: And so then the question becomes... Well, how do we get to that place of understanding God? I was going to say understanding God rightly, but I think Mm -hmm. that takes a lifetime. Mm -hmm. But how do we get to a place of healthy understanding of God? And it goes back to part of what you talked about before. You know, when we don't have safe spiritual spaces, safe spiritual family to navigate life with, to process life with, to ask the hard questions of why did God let this happen? I don't understand then we fill in the blanks with whatever tools we have at our disposal which is always going to be limited and with whatever knowledge we have which will always be limited and we can come up with a mess Mm -hmm. to describe something that's actually indescribable so what did that look like for you then to go from this experience to have that foundation but you know, in your bio, you mentioned that for years, you felt like you were suffering in silence. Mm-hmm. What took you from that place of being alone and unsure of what to do to a place now where you're willingly going onto podcasts and processing this <laughs> publicly and globally?:
1: Yeah, it's kind of crazy, isn't it? Well, leading up to the whole garage situation there was a lot of abuse Mm. from parents from older stepbrothers babysitters husband and son like there was just a lot of abuse so there was like it was almost like this big setup of priming me if you will and i remember at one point i was gosh i think i was in my mid to upper 30s i would say of talking to a counselor and saying it just feels like it says you know like use me and abuse me on my forehead i was like everywhere i turned something was happening to me there really there had not been safe places to process well in fact i should probably mention this that when i got home that night when i was 16 the front door was locked and the porch light was off mm. and that was like mm. really devastating yeah and back in that that day no i don't know i just didn't yeah. have keys So, I had to wake up my mom to come to the door and let me in. And when she opened the door, she just looked at me. No, she didn't ask me, you know, what happened. I didn't get medical care or anything. So, that really sealed the deal of what I thought about myself. I just thought I'm insignificant and nobody cares. So, I had been being around like really, you know, dysfunctional family that your podcast is not long enough for that whole story. But <laughs> um, just being around them, I, I knew it wasn't, it wasn't safe to tell because of the way that they lived. And I didn't have like really close girlfriends or like a school counselor. I wasn't plugged in at a church. There was just nowhere to go. So I just shoved it all down and I was trying to survive. And what was really happening is is that you know I was experiencing PTSD. I didn't know it. I probably wasn't diagnosed with PTSD until I was in my late forties, I would say. And I was kind of shocked. That somebody told me that because I thought that was reserved for people that went off to war. I've since learned a lot about it. I think the biggest thing is you have to find a safe place to be. Like you can't just tell anybody your story. And I had even experienced talking to clergy that just kind of acted like, "Well, you know, you should have known better, and you need to repent," and obviously you have some unconfessed sin or, or this just wouldn't be happening to you. and you know, And that's really, really distorted thinking. Mm-hmm. Like that is such legalism. And I think it completely misrepresents Father God of the Bible, how he says we are called chosen. He calls us beloved and all those types of, like there's so many names. There's just so many names of what he calls us. If you have that experience, I just want to encourage you don't give up. Like you just need to find who your safe person or tribe is to walk through this process. Because nobody should be shaming you for what you've went through. There's enough shame when you're just like, "Oh my gosh, this happened. I don't know, maybe I shouldn't have been there or whatever." Yeah. I mean, as human beings, we put ourselves through a lot of self-shaming, and I don't think you need to do that. Yeah. It doesn't help. It doesn't help you heal if you go down the shame and blame road. Mm-hmm.
0: When you're hitting at something that's come up a few times in some of the recent episodes, but also something that I think about often, which is that idea of the safe space, it's not just a place to talk about things, but what you're hitting at is there's this deep desire within us to be seen and heard.
1: Mm. And
0: what happens often (sighs) is we will share with someone and they won't really listen or Mm -hmm. if they listen they don't understand or Mm -hmm. if they understand they don't believe Mm -hmm. and you know i mentioned before we started recording that i had lost my job and i had gone through this hard hard work situation and there's a few traumatic things in my life that this season of the podcast has been bringing up and i feel like god's doing some healing in me Mm -hmm. but when i reflect back at the hardest moments you know, I know that one way that God has created me is to be resilient. Mm-hmm. And that resiliency came into play a lot. Mm-hmm. And I realize often the hardest moments weren't even the actual thing that was happening. But it's that when I would try to process that or share that or just needed somebody, I wouldn't be believed. I wouldn't be mm-hmm. trusted or I would be blamed. <sighs> and that seemed to hit so much harder. Yeah. So how is it that the church can actually get better at that? I want to hit on that specific piece about blame because that's come up multiple times in this conversation from Mm self-blame, but also from people saying, well, you shouldn't have been there or you shouldn't have done that. Mm -hmm. How do we as the church, if we're called to love, not go down that blame road?
1: Mm. I'm so glad that you brought that up. You know, as a church... This is a huge challenge, because you said something earlier about you know people respond based on their experiences and how they see things. In essence, their worldview. So if the person that you're talking to at church that you're going to for help has a very legalistic perception, because oh my goodness, we could we could give so many examples. Okay, here's one I can think of. I used to go to a church. Pastor was fairly young. He was probably in his mid thirties it seemed to me that he had a lot of head knowledge but not a whole lot of heart knowledge and he had been raised kind of more with parents that i would say were more legalistic maybe even a little bit militant and that had really shaped his viewpoint so not a whole lot of compassion Mm -hmm. not everybody that's in leadership anywhere let alone the church is necessarily equipped and called for that role. But when you are talking about church, boy, this is a whole different level, is that you have got to have people in those roles that are qualified, that are vetted, that have hearts of servants that want to see people loved and set free you know, speak the truth in love, right? Cause sometimes people are making the same bad choice over and over and over and they need somebody to go, hey, hello. You know, like let's let's review here what's working and what's not. Mm-hmm. But so often churches are doing constant fire drills, you know, like the alarms going off all the time and they're just putting out fires all over the place that they don't have that time to step back and regroup and really look at, you know, how is what we're doing affecting our church body that comes on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights? And how is what we're doing affecting our community? Mm-hmm. Are we the place that's the safe haven or not? Mm-hmm. And and that's a hard question to answer, but yeah. you've really got to have a pulse on what people are experiencing and what the feedback is. Yeah. It's a huge challenge. I think this requires if I'm going to be really, really bold here, this is face in the carpet, crying out to God of like purifying me and get the garbage out of me so that I can love people the way that I should be loving people. Because it's way too easy to just sit on your pedestal and go, oh, you know, well, I went through this and you should be doing it this way and that way. And it's like, well, maybe they shouldn't be doing it that way.
0: I mean, I think you're hitting on a really important thing there that That's the answer Mm -hmm. is I think we all recognize that we're not good at it, but I think we could actually just get straight up bold like you did and say, no, actually, we can't do this. Like, I think we've proven after generation, after generation, after generation, that we are incapable of actually loving in the way that God has created us and called us to love. And the way that then we can love since we are called to do it is like you said, we got to actually legitimately humbly mm-hmm. thoroughly pray like god yeah i cannot love i need your love to come through me because yeah. even in our best of intentions we can still fall into that blame place as you were talking it was reminding me of one of the phrases that's been used on me that i've i've come to hate so much <laughs> that's a strong word i'm still going to use it though is when somebody would end up blaming me for something and and often it was wrongfully so and they would say well i'm just i'm just saying the truth in love mm. And here's the hard part. The reason we need God is because this stuff is really nuanced and hard to understand because mm-hmm. you noted it. Sometimes there is a black and white element. Mm-hmm. Sometimes there is something that's happening that shouldn't happen. Mm-hmm. But I think we're missing two pieces. And I want to hear your thoughts on this. So so one is on the human level. There are experiences, there are worldviews, there are understandings, there are ways that we are raised that can impact our understanding of compassion and the way that we do that and what we think things need to look like. Compassion is not a very celebrated characteristic to have. Like we love it, but then we really celebrate boldness and authority and striking down stuff. So there is that human element. But the other piece that I think about is there's the spiritual gifts of some were called to be apostles and some were called mm-hmm. to be prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers. And our churches really love teachers. Mm-hmm. Like that's our sermons are a conveyance of information. yeah And that's important. Teachers yeah. is one of the gifts. Prophets are the saying the hard thing that needs to be said, that people won't like you for it, but it it has to be said, right? So you're like, there is a place for each of these roles, but you hit on something that is actually Something I feel very strongly about and have thought about for years is so many of our churches and our ministries and our spiritual families are really lacking often that spiritual gifting. Mm -hmm. We'll have a lot of teachers. We'll have a lot of evangelists, a lot of prophets, but we're lacking those shepherds. And those shepherds are the ones that are able to see the world differently. Mm -hmm. Whereas the prophet is designed to see the black and white. Mm -hmm. This is wrong and should be stopped. This is right and should be done. Mm -hmm. The shepherd is more of that walking alongside and is able to look at the person who went to a party, was drinking underage, and not go gut instinct to, well, you shouldn't have been drinking. It's, Mm -hmm. how are you doing? Yeah. Are you okay? Right? Like, because their eyes are designed to see the person and to walk with them the long journey. Yeah. So I'm going to pause there because I just said a whole lot of things, but what's that (laughs) shaking up in you?
1: You know... I heard Lisa Bevere say this and I'm gonna I have to say this because she said it so well and it's so simple and it's so obvious. She said, "In the past, the church responded, you know, to this the hurting world with truth. And then it, it wasn't received because it was like it was too harsh. And then the world responded to the same world condition and suffering with love, but not with truth." Hence the mess that we have here going on now. She said, the church needs to get back to the response of truth in love. And I was like, yeah, gosh, Lisa, thank you for saying what, you know, really needs to be said like a hundred million times because we all know that, but we keep, I don't know, getting distracted or something. Distraction has been something that the Lord has been teaching me about, like. All year long. He's funny. He plays games to get my attention. Mm -hmm. That's a whole nother Mm -hmm. thing. But you're right. Like we need to be looking at people's gifting so much more. And like what you were pointing out is like looking at, oh, okay, well, you were drinking, you were underage, you shouldn't have been doing that. It's like, yeah, okay, but I did, so now what? Let's get past the legality of it all. Mm -hmm. People, they're just hung up on being right. And, oh gosh, I don't want to say the wrong thing, but people are really hung up on being right. Like we see that even in leadership, when a leader can say, oh, I missed the mark, or I didn't see that right, or I didn't say this right. It's like, wow, you have so much more respect and regard for that person. Mm -hmm. So how much more weight would just that idea carry if it was a spiritual leader of going like, wow, I really blew it? Mm -hmm. You know, we we just, I think we just need to get humble again, face in the carpet. Yeah. Get humble, listen, listen. You know, it's painful being an extrovert. We have lots of words that we need to use every single day. And I'm like, okay, Lord, I need to listen more than I talk. Mm. But I really like to talk. Don't tell anybody.
0: (laughs) When even that statement gets at the reality is, this is all bigger than us. And so, You know, you were designed as an extrovert. You've got like, you've got to use 20,000 words a day. So (laughs) let me get on a bunch of podcasts. And then that way, you know, it's like, you know that that's part of how you've been designed. And then God's like, yes. And also I'm calling you to something beyond that. So I need you to listen some more. And it's going to seem counter to who you are, Mm -hmm. but I'm actually doing abundantly more than you can ask or imagine. I actually Mm -hmm. have a whole life for you. I actually am making you a new creation, right? Like this, there's so much in scripture that is like, yes, you see this. That is so small compared to what God's actually doing. Yeah. And so going back to this truth and love piece, mm-hmm. everybody would agree that truth is good and everybody yeah. would agree that love is good. The yeah. problem is, is like you said, we can tend to veer like a pendulum mm-hmm. and it be all about truth. And like it doesn't I don't care if it hurts your feelings. I gotta tell you what I gotta tell you. Yeah. Or veer the other way. It's all about love. Like I'm not going to say that because I want to avoid the conflict and neither yeah. of those is the appropriate response, but yeah. it's even more than that. It's mm-hmm. if we we're honest, we actually don't know what, what capital T truth is. <laughs> like we actually don't understand what capital L love is. We have our ideas and our mm-hmm. pursuits towards it, but capital T truth and capital L love, like what God is actually presenting is beyond our comprehension. And so Mm -hmm. if we go into it with a lack of humility as though we've got it under wraps, we know what we're doing. It's not going to take long before we trip up. Mm -hmm. And and this is why we're called to unity because you do need the people that have been designed to see truth a little more than other people. And you need need the people who are designed to see love a little more than other people. Because as we're talking about this, my mind goes back to Joe, who was drinking (laughs) and driving and killed the family. Because hilariously, like I'm of the shepherding leaning. My mind went to I wonder what was going on in Joe's life that led him to to overdrink. Yeah. Like, was he drinking away something that was going on? And he is still at fault for his decision. Mm -hmm. But um, my mind's like, but I don't I don't think it stops there. Mm -hmm. So I want to find out why was nobody actually with him and saying, Joe, 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 hold back a little bit. Like, Mm -hmm. so what's going on with his relationships? Is there something, a trauma that he was working through? Yeah. You know, what's the brokenness there? And the reality is scripture says the enemy has come to steal, kill and destroy. Mm -hmm. So in any given situation, more often than not if somebody makes a stupid decision mm-hmm. there is some influence outside of them mm-hmm. and they are both simultaneously responsible for their choices cuz all send and fall short yeah <laughs> and there is something that is beyond their actual control and capacity and that's where the body is supposed to step in mm-hmm. <laughs> right? right to be present to be caring to hold truth and balance to do all these things as mm-hmm. a body Because outside that, we're just a bunch of people floundering around trying to figure this out and either assuming we've got it figured out or saying we have nothing figured out and tossing our hands up, which neither of those is actually (laughs) exactly right.
1: Now, that's such a good point. Speaking of Joe and why he's drinking, I really subscribe to the thought that if it's an addiction, whether it's a porn addiction, it's an alcohol addiction. In California, smoking pot's legalized. It's just, it's weird. You walk down the street and it's just like every, you smell it. You don't necessarily see everybody's lit up, but you're just like, people are doing so many things to check out, Mm -hmm. especially since the world turned a bit sideways the last year and a half. And I'm like, okay, I really believe all this is a response to some form of trauma because nobody just rolls out of bed, you know, when they're a kid and just goes, "Oh, I think I'm going to become an addict or I think I'm going to, you know, mm-hmm. just become addicted to watching porn or I'm going to be addicted to shopping and I'm going to end up stealing credit cards and lying and like all this stuff to yeah. keep that going or my gambling habit going. It's a trauma response, right? So we have to get to the like you said, it's the root of the matter. Like what is this person really dealing with? And if there wasn't so much stigma and shame around people that have these kind of behaviors, Mm -hmm. that are behaviors to really stop the bleeding of the heart, like the heart's just bleeding out, so they're trying to stop the pain, right? There wasn't so much shame around it all. I think more people would ask for help. But people are really afraid for other people to know what they're really dealing with. Yeah, I mean, and the numbers are staggering of those that are struggling with really, really big issues. The one thing that I think we need to go back and just kind of, it's like another dumb moment is the church is supposed to be a hospital people like duh, right? This is where you come to get well and healthy. Okay. So you and I, we can see each other right now. You and I look pretty fairly healthy but you and i would go to the gym to get stronger and to improve our fitness and health level right so even a person hearing what i'm saying that might be like well you know i don't i don't have big problems you know i'm not an addict i don't need to go to church to get healthy well no but you might need to go to the gym it's spiritual fitness right so everybody really does need to be there using their gifts learning walking with people Instead of going back to what we talked about earlier, how people get hurt, they're like, oh, yeah, I used to go to this, this church and my neighbor went there, but my neighbor's always partying and I hear him yelling at his kids and he got a big fight with his wife and the police came out and he's such a hypocrite. So I don't go to church. And it's like, wait, 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 time out. Like we're blowing this way out of proportion. And then they kind of do that whole, you know, well, I don't know if I believe in God because this, this and this. And it's like, let's take it back a notch. What's the real reason for going to church? What's the real reason why you're finding excuses not to go? that's another rabbit hole we could go down. Yeah. <laughs> but but I've had people tell me those kind of things all the time.
0: I, I think there's a problem in h- how we process the world. Yeah. And the way we tend to process the world is broad sweeps. Yeah. When in reality, everything is very nuanced. With church, if there hasn't been a healthy understanding of God presented to you or given to you, you may be prone to bring in whatever you've got. And if there's nothing keeping you at church other than obligation, then mm-hmm. Yeah. Why would I stay in a place that hurts me? And these broad sweeps are what make it so hard for us to actually engage with life and with each other.
1: Oh, that's good. Some
0: of it, too, is it's not our fault. We're almost conditioned for it. And I was talking to somebody about this. You have the passage where we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but mm-hmm. against the spiritual principalities, right? Mm-hmm. We, we know that, we say that, but we actually don't live it out as though that's true yeah. because what we do is villainize yep. anybody that does anything wrong or anybody that hurts us. Yep. And we talked about this earlier, that there are nuances to it. And it's hard because you're holding in tension the reality that somebody did do something wrong. The, mm-hmm. Somebody in the church did hurt you. Somebody yeah. uh, did do something unjust with the reality that it may not be as broad a sweep as we want. And that's Mm -hmm. one of the things that was simultaneously frustrating and a blessing to me in my work trauma is very early on. One of the first really, really rough meetings where where things kind of went south, Mm -hmm. I simultaneously knew what is happening is not right. Mm -hmm. And I don't deserve this. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, God was like, But I also want to give you some insight. This is the shepherding piece coming in. I I was Mm -hmm. like, I want to give you some insight into what your boss is going through. Mm
1: -hmm. And
0: when I was processing with some friends, some of them went to the black and white broad sweep. Mm -hmm. He's a bad person. And I'm like, but actually, no, like, yes, what he's doing is wrong, Mm -hmm. but he's going through this, this, this. And it wasn't like a justifying kind of thing. It was like this clear moment of I can't villainize him. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I can't give him a pass. And I also can't villainize him. Mm -hmm. So God, what in the world do I do? Mm. And God said, keep walking forward. And we don't know how to do that because, you know, like I said, we've been conditioned every show that we watch, every movie that we watch, most of them are designed with good guy and bad guy mentality. Right. So our brains are wired to see it in a binary way. Yeah. You're either good or you're bad. You're either doing the right thing or you're doing the wrong thing. Yeah. Yeah. The reality is, is Joe simultaneously did a very wrong thing, Mm -hmm. but there may be things going on that make it a lot more gray than it is black and white. So then our journey becomes taking the next step. I had to take the next step in what my work relationship looked like, what my functioning in that environment looked like, Mm -hmm. what was healthy for me. And it was not clear or easy. Most of the time, mm. God was consistently God and good, mm-hmm. but I didn't always look for it, always see it or always trust it. Mm-hmm. But as I continue to walk towards him, it got easier to see his presence and goodness. And this is the invitation for the church, because going back to what you said at the very start, we're in messy, rough times.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Now, to be fair, all of human history has been marked by messy, rough times, <laughs> but we are in some exceptionally messy and rough times where it's very notable how poorly the church is doing at this stepping into the nuance and how easily we fall into the villainizing, how easily we fall into the pride of I know what's going on and how Mm -hmm. easily we fall into blame Mm -hmm. rather than love. Because blame is a pointing of the finger, (laughs) even if it's blaming in love. (laughs) (laughs) But I don't recall any times that Jesus did an accusational finger with the exception somebody could say of his rebukes to the Pharisees and saying, woe to you. Mm -hmm. But we have to hold that with the reality that this is the same guy who also stood outside of Jerusalem and wept Mm -hmm. over what he like, wept. Like Mm -hmm. I, you were so close, like how I long that you could understand. Like Mm -hmm. it was less a angry blame and more like my heart is broken. And I, Have to call out the ways that I see you dishonoring God, but man, my heart is broken because it's not what you were designed to be. And the church does not know how to actually be who Jesus was in those moments simultaneously, the epitome of truth and the epitome of love. And we cannot get there on our own, but like you said, Mm -hmm. if we can get better at humbly getting down in prayer and saying, God, I'm not enough, but you are, Mm -hmm. then maybe maybe we can actually start taking little steps in the right direction.
1: Yeah, and when you're talking about how people get really caught up in blame, I think that it would behoove us to do the comparison of blame alongside Well, what would accountability look like. Because blame doesn't really solve anything. Right. I mean, even if you go to a court of law, right? So Joe, Joe goes to jail for what he did. He can be blamed, but what happens in the court is that he's held accountable and he's got that consequence. Like maybe it's just better to look at things through accountability. Like like even your what you experienced in the workplace. I used to work somewhere that was incredibly toxic. I remember sitting in my car at lunch and I'd just be like blinking back tears, like, oh, lunch break's almost over. I have to go back in. Yeah. And just it was just so, so difficult. At that particular place, I learned a lot. It was a very valuable lesson for me. There comes a place where we need to also have really healthy boundaries. It's like, okay, I can love you and I can understand that you're going through some things and your behavior doesn't behoove you, but at the same time, have that healthy boundary of, I'm not here to be your doormat either. Mm -hmm. Like, dude, you need to get some help. I need to leave and you need to get some help (laughs) because I heard somebody say they were talking about when a wife is abused and she chooses to leave a marriage. Now the church has been noted quite a bit as saying, well, but God doesn't like divorce. And I heard somebody say, the Lord is more concerned about your emotional, physical, and spiritual health and safety than your marital status, and I was like, Wow, that's a really good response because even though God doesn't like divorce, it doesn't say stay and be beaten or you know, stay with somebody that cheats and things like that. It's like, and that's a place where the church has had a very black and white response. Gosh, I'm thinking of you being in a workplace where you're going through hard times. When you have a boss that's that way, there's also that element in the spiritual realm where you are. Really in some in, in in a sort of submission to a person that is over you. That can be a slippery slope, I would think. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Well, and especially because it was a ministry. So then you get a spiritual mm-hmm. authority element in there. And yeah. and this is the key for me. And this is why we need God and his wisdom. Mm-hmm. Because I wanted to leave. Mm-hmm. I tried to leave multiple times and God kept saying, I need you to stay. Mm. And that's a whole long story. (laughs) And I've got a podcast episode about it somewhere. But the key that I learned that was transformational for me was Mm -hmm. for most of that time, I still understood that my boss was my boss. Yeah. And I answered to him. And the only way to find peace was to change his mind or to get him to see me accurately or to, you know, Hmm. any of these things. And the breakthrough is God saying, no, I'm your boss you work for me mm. so like your job right now is i'm inviting you to stay in a in a toxic space mm-hmm. that is not just and is not fair to you but because i'm your boss mm-hmm. i'm actually going to provide the way for you to do the job that i'm calling you to do and when my mind shifted the toxicity didn't change but who i was in the midst did
1: oh that's interesting which is
0: why if if we make a decision yeah. if somebody's in a toxic marriage there are many ways you could look at it like some would say, you absolutely go. It's time to go. Nope. And some would say, mm, like, if you just love them, maybe things will get better. And those are very broad sweeps to a nuanced situation. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: God in his infinite wisdom may call some to have peace and stepping away even if the church gets mad at them. Mm-hmm. And may call some to stay in because he is doing a greater work. But that awareness, like mm-hmm can't just come from our human logic Mm -hmm. and if somebody in and of themselves is trying to operate just in their logic it's going to be hard but if those around them are also operating in just human logic and trying to tackle spiritual things it's it's going to get messy and and hard and blame will work its way back into it and i love what you said about blame is like a looking back without any Mm. forward movement it's like Mm -hmm. you shouldn't have done that you should have done this you should have changed that and this is what we see Jesus doing, because as we're talking, I'm thinking about the woman who was caught in adultery.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: There are clear rules and laws against adultery. There are clear moral things against adultery. Mm-hmm. And Jesus knew these things, mm-hmm. and he knew what she was doing was absolutely wrong and destructive to her. Mm-hmm. But it's very clear that in that moment, where his mind was, was not on accusing her mm-hmm. but seeing her and recognizing what is it that she needs in order to get where I know she is meant to be yeah and the answer in that moment was love mercy and grace mm-hmm. this wasn't a prescriptive thing that was then saying somebody could say oh well jesus is saying adultery is okay no that's mm-hmm. a broad sweep mm-hmm. what jesus was doing was in this moment he saw her accurately as mm-hmm. a child of god made in the image of god who is in a destructive space And he knew what was needed in order to bring her from death to life. Mm -hmm. This is knowledge that we can't access in and of ourselves, but God can. And that's the invitation for the church is Mm -hmm. in these moments, instead of pointing the finger and blaming this political party or that political party or this person doing that sin or that person doing that sin or any number of things that we are levying accusations around, how do we actually stop and say, okay, God, the battle isn't against flesh and blood. I don't like what this person's doing, but you love them. So what does it look like for me to operate in truth and love in this moment? Because I have my ideas, but I am humbly acknowledging that I might be wrong. (laughs) And that is hard for us to do because it will cost us more than we want to give. And we also like our quick fixes. And this is a lifetime commitment that we will do this over and over and over. And we do not like that. We want to, do the thing and then rest, but that's just not how it works.
1: Yeah. And, and a couple of times this evening, you've touched on that, you know, battling against the spirit realm, not the flesh and blood. And I was talking to somebody about that the other day and, and we were saying, this was the conclusion and we didn't really come to an answer. It was like, but what's that division where the person is not acting because of an influence or deception but they've literally thought this through and they've decided very, very willingly and very clearly, I'm gonna do this. I don't care what the cost is. And has really sold out. We were we were talking about some people to get involved in like Satanism and like the really dark side. Cause I don't remember where the the reference is, but it you might know in the New Testament where it says about um being handed over mm-hmm. to the devourer. Like there's a point of no return. So we were talking about that. We're like, okay, you and I probably don't know. We'll use Joe. Poor Joe. He's gonna be Poor he's gonna Joe. be mad. He's gonna call into the show one of these days and just be like, you guys ruined my life. Like why are you talking about me? Never coming to shots with Sharon and Paul. Like yeah. ever. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like, okay, so what's going on with Joe? Like at what point is he trying to stop the bleeding in his heart. So this is his response. At what point is he being just deceived or what point has he decided to like make a deal with the devil and he's just like reckless and I don't care what it costs. I don't Mm -hmm. care what kind of damage there is. This is what I'm doing. It's like, oh, you know, we don't know. Mm -hmm. We don't know.
0: Yeah. Well, and then I think you're right that we don't know. So then what that pushes us to is then What do we do with that recognition that we don't know? And it, Mm -hmm. again, brings us to that's why we need to seek God. But then it brings this other question. Then what is our role in this situation? And as you're talking, the verse that's popping in my head is, you know, the judge not lest you be judged. Maybe there are situations in which our role is not to make the final judgment, Mm -hmm. but prayerfully to know what does my interaction look like going forward? And so in my own life. There have been there are people where I've had to draw a hard line mm-hmm. they they cross some lines and prayerfully I felt like I've got to a place of forgiving them, but God was giving me a piece of saying, but they do not have to yeah. be you do not need to be vulnerable with them anymore because yeah. they betrayed that trust, and I felt a piece about like drawing that hard line. I still love them, still friendly to them, but I'm not open up my life deeply to them right We like, could do a whole
1: show about forgiveness, you know
0: right right, and, <laughs> and we boundaries. really can. <laughs> And then like the other pieces, there are people that I've continued in relationship with, even though they keep hurting me because Mm -hmm. of the same thing. God gave me uh, an invitation to trust him in that space. And so really what it comes down to is how are we getting better and better at seeking God for what he is inviting us into in any given relationship instead Mm -hmm. of doing broad sweeps about here are the people that I will love. Here are the people that I won't. Here are the people that I will forgive. Here are the people that I won't. Because Mm -hmm. what Jesus demonstrated is he loved a lot of people who didn't deserve it. Mm -hmm. A lot of people who knowledgeably did horrible things to him. And his response was forgive them for they don't actually know what they're doing. They think they know, but they do not understand what they're doing. And we're supposed to follow this guy. So I'm going to stop because you and I could just, (laughs) clearly we could keep on going and going and going. And I I do want to leave space for two more questions. Okay. And they're very, very simple. The first one is we've been talking about this book and somebody's listening mm-hmm. right now and they're like, I need to read this book. So how is it that somebody can connect with your book, connect with you, connect with mm-hmm. any of your content?
1: Well, you can find me at SharonHughes.net, traditional spelling. I'm sure it'll be in the show notes. Um, the book, it's on Amazon. It's at Barnes and Noble. It's also written workbook style, and this goes really deep into what do you believe about yourself? What does God say about who you are? And it's short, so you can get a breakthrough really quick.
0: That's great. Yeah. And then my last question is, is there anything else that's on your heart that you feel like you would like to share before we go?
1: You know, I think the only other thing is just to, you know, like wrap up everything we were talking about is to be discerning if you're going to pray for anything, I just think pray for wisdom and to be discerning because things are rough. They're probably not going to just, you know, all of a sudden be back to, uh, you know, butterflies and puppy dogs anytime soon. So I think we just need to really be watching and listening and pray for that discernment and wisdom so that we know how to respond. You will walk, you will run in through
0: the streets, shouting praise to the As I processed this great conversation with Sharon, one of the things that really stood out to me was her call for us to humble ourselves before God and to say, we don't know, we need you, God. Because that's the truth, isn't it? We really struggle with understanding. We really struggle with showing love. And her invitation that we would humbly pray and ask for wisdom is one that God invites us to. We can look at James 1.5 to see that. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. I mean, that's a pretty straightforward promise. If any of us lacks wisdom, we should ask God, and He gives it generously without finding fault, and it will be given to us. So we may be wondering why is it there's so little wisdom in so many situations? Well, we might like verse 5, but we don't like verse 6. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. And then seven, that person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. And then eight gets really heavy. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Man, that gets heavy quick. So what's happening here? When I was younger and I would hear this verse, what I assumed it meant Is that when we ask for wisdom, we should believe that God gives wisdom and not doubt. And perhaps it does mean that. But as I was processing the conversation today, I was thinking about so many people I know that genuinely want wisdom, and yet so often find themselves unstable, find themselves in places where they are double minded, both seeking God and seeking things of the world. So, what's happening here? Is it an issue of actually believing that God can give wisdom? I wonder. If what is actually happening here is when it says you must believe and not doubt, what if it's talking about we must believe the wisdom that God gives us? Because our tendency is to doubt that what God is saying is actually good or actually true. Because we hit on it in this episode, right? If we are actually seeking to love, we are going to find ourselves having to sacrifice a lot. If we are actually seeking to love, we're going to constantly push up against the foolishness of God. And so there are going to be so many opportunities when God gives us wisdom for us to doubt what he is saying to us, for us to question what he is saying to us. And maybe right now you're thinking, not me, I wouldn't do that. But even Jesus' disciples did that. So often he spoke wisdom to them, he gave them wisdom freely, and they pushed back on it. They rejected what he was saying. Peter even rebuked Jesus once. And even today we do that when the wisdom of God pushes against our desires, our stances, our hopes, our political leanings. There are so many things in our lives that can push us to doubt the wisdom of God. So yes, God does desire to give us wisdom and he is willing to give it freely. But if he gives it and we don't accept it, we're going to be like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed all over. And it's gonna be hard for us to receive anything from God if when we ask, we reject what he's given us. And that road leads us to be double-minded because like the Pharisees and Sadducees, we can simultaneously say we stand for God while standing for other things. And it makes us unstable, first in small things and then in everything. So here's the deal. When Jesus was asked what the greatest commandments were, he said, love God and love others. And the pervasiveness of shame and blame indicates that we are really struggling with that. We are really struggling with love. We desperately need wisdom. And we desperately need to humble ourselves to ask for that wisdom, knowing that when that wisdom comes, it will press against our understanding. When that wisdom comes, it will cause us to have to give up something. When that wisdom comes, it's going to push us into places and thoughts that we might not have wanted to go on our own. And when that happens, we will have a choice to either believe that God is God and God is good and his wisdom is solid or to push back on that wisdom he's given us. One road leads to full life. The other leads to instability. There are people all around us, people all around you, that are hurting right now. That are desiring to be vulnerable with someone who will hold their heart with care and there are many reasons sometimes justifiable reasons that we may want to point the finger even if it's a desire to blame in love but what if in those moments god is actually calling us to love with his love not to fix but to represent his grace and mercy and compassion in a moment when it will matter most Like the adulterous woman at the feet of Jesus, she knew what Jesus was supposed to do. And when she was met with such awe-inspiring, unexpected love, it changed the trajectory of her life. None of us deserve that love, and yet God desires to give it today. So if you are wrestling with shame, know that God loves you. If you wrestle with blaming others, know that God loves them and you. If you are feeling blamed, know that no matter what others are saying, God loves you right now. And God's love can defy our expectations, our understanding, our desires, our dreams to do something far abundantly more than we could ask or imagine. So if you are seeing blame and shame in your life, take a moment to reflect on the reality of God's love. Invite it in, ask for wisdom, and then ask yourself where... Did you see God? Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the Where Did You See God podcast. And I would love for your stories to be a part of it as well. So there are a number of ways that you can do that. You can check out our Facebook page at Where Did You See God podcast. You can go to anchor.fm slash Where Did You See God, or you can leave a brief voice message at 804 372 3836. I would love to hear your stories. And if the stories you've heard have encouraged you, uh, think of someone else who could be encouraged as well and share it with them. The music you've been listening to is You'll Walk, You'll Run by Urban Doxology. They are a solid group and you will love listening to the rest of their music. So check them out. And as always, as you go through your day, ask yourself, where did you see God?